All right, and welcome back to another episode of Rewind and Reconsider. I am Harrison Fagan, and I am joined, as always, by my lovely co-host and fiance, Mia Agraviador. And joining us today is our one of our best friends from college and uh, Daily former Daily Titan colleague and current writer at Cinema Blend, Sarah El Mamut. Sarah, how are you doing today? Hello, happy to be here. Doing good. How about you guys? Well, okay. Wait, to be clear, she's not actually here. We are on Zoom. She is at a social distance. Okay, I think people probably would have been... Some people might not know. No. Yes, we are flouting social distancing, distancing guidelines and just inviting people into our house. That's what we're doing now. Uh, okay, so Sarah has brought us a movie that is part of your childhood, Sarah's childhood, and it is the 1997 Batman and Robin, right? Yes, that is the movie. <laughs> uh, so can you tell us a little bit about this movie, its history with you? Um, yeah, so I think we just looked up. The movie came out in 1997. So I was like a literal infant when this movie came out. Um, I don't think I saw it in theaters, but we had like the DVD and we'd watch it all the time. And at the time, I was really into like Batman animation, like Batman Beyond and like the Justice League TV show. So seeing it like in live action was like super awesome. And I remember just like having a great time with it as a kid. And then I grew up and found out that this movie has a really bad reputation. It's like considered like the worst Batman movie, I think. And I haven't rewatched it since. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's good. That's the premise of our show. Honestly. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly, it's weird how that's almost the exact same thing for me. Like I got, I remember I got toys from this movie and then of course, like wanted to see it and thought it was the coolest thing ever as a kid, literally have never rewatched it since. And remember, I have positive memories of it. I do have two questions though. Number one is like, are we sure that this is considered the worst Batman movie? Because I thought that was Batman forever. And uh, number two, do you think that all of those people are just haters and losers that need to appreciate this classic? And also, third question, is this the one with the bat nipples? Because I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I I honestly, I think Batman, like, on screen has such a good, like, reputation in the past that I think people kind of, like, drag this movie too hard. That's why I am curious when we rewatch it, if it won't be as bad as we think it is. Um, but again, I'm coming from somebody who has like very nostalgic value on this. And I think it like as a kid, like the lineup for this movie is like stacked. And like, even as an adult, like Uma Thurman as uh, Poison Ivy, George Clooney as Batman, that's cool, right? Yeah, yeah. Wait, isn't Poison Ivy in the in Batman Forever? Am I mixing these two movies up? No, I think she's in Batman and Rock. I don't know. There's so many fucking Batman. All right. Movies. Well, I guess we'll find out <laughs> <laughs> when we watch this movie. Uh, so, what do you remember liking about this movie, both of you? Uh, Sarah can go first, and she's a lady. Yeah. So I think I think it's just like it's like a, a fun take on Batman where like other ones have like I couldn't really watch the Tim Burton ones as like a young kid because those are like they're more dark in their themes. Like the Joker was really scary or like Danny DeVito's Penguin is pretty like scary as a young kid. So mm -hmm. this was like the one that's more like, um, more fun. Um, and I really liked uh, seeing, like, like, like I said, a female villain, you have Poison Ivy. And then I believe that girl is in this movie. So, oh. and you got Robin, uh, mm -hmm. Mr. Freeze. Robin who looks like, I, I mean, according to the poster, he looks like he's about, 
a 30 year old man. Yeah, I'm excited to see how they <laughs> how they justify because I do not remember at all why this 30 year old man needs to be adopted by Bruce Wayne. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, it's sad if his if it's the traditional comic book backstory and his parents die, but he's also like 30. And at that point, like, it's kind of weird that this billionaire is adopting you. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I don't know if that's actually how this goes. I think we're close to like Nightwing in this. Like, he's not really like. Oh, he's like, not in the the tidy whitey bat Robin. Yeah, kind of thing. he's like mature Robin. That's a thing. Okay. I'm pretty sure they meet in this movie. All right, this is going to be interesting to go back and watch because, as you can tell, neither of us have any plot <laughs> recollection of this movie other than thinking it was really cool. Can't wait. I just like had a vision. Like I just remembered how they meet. Oh but, yeah. Yeah, but we'll talk about it after. I'm guessing, right? Yes, I'm, I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of things for us to talk about <laughs> after, but really quick, we are going to go ahead and go watch the movie, and then we will be right back. Okay, and we are back, and I just want to start off by saying that first, Sarah, I want to apologize to you because I was kind of passive-aggressive in the intro segment when, I, you know, I was pretty sure that I was right about which, like, movie this was, and I completely mixed up the title, so that is on me, but luckily for me, that is not the worst atrocity related to Batman committed on this podcast. That would be this movie. Um, and, you know, before we get going into what we liked, what we didn't like about the movie, whether or not it held up to Sarah and I's fond memories of it, I'm going to let Mia, since you have not watched it before, give us our 60 second summary and you can try and summarize the plot of the movie in 60 seconds. And I don't know why I never pull up my stopwatch. I got it. I got it. I got it. Ready? Yeah. One, two, three, go. Okay, so we open. Mr. Freeze is the bad guy. He's Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's like, I'm going to freeze. And then Batman and Robin say, no, you're not. And then they take away their diamond. For some reason, he needs a diamond. And then they go back. And it turns out that uh, Batman and Robin are actually fighting. And they're like, no, we need to catch this Mr. Freeze. Also, on a side note, there is a, uh, a doctor. Her name is Pamela. And she turns into poison ivy. And then she also... Some, somehow is friends with Bane, who's another bad character, and they all meet up at some, like, jungle forest-themed ball, and then she comes out of a gorilla suit dancing, and then, um, and then she's like, hey, Mr. Freeze, let's team up, and he's like, yo, okay, let's go do this, and then Batman and Robin also meet up with Batgirl somehow, that is also in there as well as Alfred's also dying, and then they try to catch Mr. Freeze, and then uh, Poison Ivy double-crosses Mr. Freeze, and then this she dies no she doesn't die she gets put in arkham asylum and then they uh fight off mr freeze and then he is also put in arkham asylum and that's that's it honestly yeah and it's sort of implied that he's going to kill her or like torture her or something because he for some reason is given his full freeze suit in prison <laughs> not really sure what the logic for that was but you could say that about a lot of this movie before uh, mia also you missed the you missed the uh timer window by like 10 seconds but that's way closer than you normally come yeah so to, I, was, I mean given how many fucking plot points was in this movie i think i pretty much hit them all you hit all the Co I'm not even going to say coherent ones. Batgirl? Oh, yeah, I guess she has a plot line, too. Yeah, she shows up to sell more toys. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of the whole thing with this movie. But before we... Uh, a couple things I want to address off the bat. That ball scene was the weirdest Rainforest Cafe visit ever. <laughs> and second, Sarah, uh, we're going to give you your first opportunity to talk like three minutes into this segment. And I would just like you to apologize <laughs> to us and the audience because this is now 
Casper meets Wendy and Batman, it's Batman Forever, right? Yeah, no, ba- Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin that you have brought to this podcast. And I just, I would like an apology. You, I think you owe one to Mia and the listeners as well. <laughs> I was going to say you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's bold. You know what? I like it. I'll take it. <laughs> uh, you, so oh, You wouldn't ahead. have revisited it, it if I didn't, right? That's true. And it does make us appreciate a lot more Batman movies now. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like this is the worst of the worst. That's true. That actually can be something that we like about this movie is that it makes us like the Nolan trilogy more. Like that, you know, yeah. this that this was what it had to clean up after. And just don't watch any other Batman movies until the Robert Pattinson one, and then there's like a low bar. How dare I despise <laughs> that you just slandered uh, Batman versus Superman, an excellent movie oh, that is no. criminally underappreciated. No, no, no. Oh, you just gotta, <laughs> you just gotta watch the director's cut. That's like thirty extra minutes. It fleshes it all out, and it's great. So, what did you find that you actually liked about this movie? I like, and again with the nostalgic thing, yes, it's a, it's a bad movie. It's even worse than I like expected it to be but I enjoyed it so thoroughly <laughs> like ironically or kind of just like oh this is um, bad but it's almost fun I mean, like definitely like some childhood memories came up on like all the characters like seeing them again and just how ridiculous the script was like so many ice puns uh just every character is just ridiculous and um George Clooney is like, I forgot, like, by the end of it, you're like, was he even Batman? Like, I don't even remember you were in this movie, which is hilarious to me, considering he's, like, the main character. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, to see him in a role where he's just not charismatic, he just honestly looks emotionally dead in every single scene. I think that's what brings me joy, that... Yeah, I think that we... You know, I think we discovered that the secret to George Clooney's success is that you can see his entire face because it's like all of a sudden, once you cover up half of that thing, it's like all the charisma is gone. So it's all from the top half of his face and not his jawline. Like, I think scientifically, this movie just proved that. Because when he's on screen as Bruce Wayne, it's like, oh, he's like kind of likable again. Like, oh, yeah, that's George Clooney. But then when it's just Batman, like he's kind of, you know, like he's personality-less. Yeah. I think he definitely phoned this in, but I think that's what makes it funny is because he's such a high paying actor and who does a lot of really good roles. And this one, he just completely just disregarded anything. I mean, he must've seen the script and just realized <laughs> that he did not realize what he was signing up yeah. for. What, yeah. I feel like it was like a George Clooney body double. Like it didn't even feel like, <laughs> like actually existent in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, I will have to hand it to this movie. This movie did make an effort to pretty much make every single scene sell a toy. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say that. It, it, it Basically, the entire thing was an action movie, like an action figure commercial. They, there was a new gadget in every scene. I think every single time they went out almost, they switched costumes. <laughs> and like everybody was constantly, like he had bat skates. Did they try to like form a deal to like sell bat skates to children? Like, I don't, I know. I mean, I'm sure that there was an ice skating Batman figure that they sold and a bunch of other ones of gadgets that weren't in the movie. Like, I, I think that you saw like the effects of that when uh, like Batman Begins and those movies came out like they always sold a million toys that had gadgets that like you know he never used in those movies and it's because like Tim Burton set an unrealistic standard for like I'm gonna sell you a toy in every scene I think at one point Poison Ivy even jokes that like you know her action figure set comes with Bane because she doesn't get her hands dirty does she really I didn't catch that yes she does (laughs) so this movie is also (laughs) self-aware yeah a little bit 
little bit. There was also that uh, shot with the Express, like the American Express card. with like That was in a commercial at the time. I distinctly remember that. It was like the official credit card of Batman. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but the creativity in this movie is... uh, Honestly, I gotta give... I have to give this movie credit. They really do use a lot of puns bat bat puns bat mo- like bat gadgets and stuff they just you know and like visually i think there are some cool aspects to it like i think most of the costumes are kind of ridiculous or not that great or overly shiny but i thought the mr freeze suit is actually an interesting interpretation of what is kind of a goofy looking suit originally in the comics and they made it more modern and looking a little bit more militarized like i thought that looked pretty good like i thought the suit looked cool the character did not really do much for me like in the portrayal <laughs> but he, he at least looked cool and you say so you could see on the posters like they at least had the poster shot and that's i think so much of what this movie was to me was it was a movie that was designed to like look pretty be bright sell toys and like get you to go to the theater and then not really do anything for you while you were actually in there yeah and I kind of feel like it was designed to be like like kind of how you were talking about the rainforest cafe thing like it kind of feels like like a like it's designed to be like some show you watch it like Universal Studios even though it's Warner Brothers but yeah 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 (laughs) it does kind of feel like that the whole set kind of felt like felt like a like a theme park kind of like cosplayers in like the mis- like the Mr. Freeze goons like looked like cosplayers for a Mr. Freeze gang like yeah like you could definitely see someone making a stunt show out of this out of theme park. even a musical number yes <laughs> batman on ice with his bat skates no but there was musical numbers in this like i think there was about like multiple <laughs> yeah there was multiple ones so they had the one at the, the, the Rainforest Cafe Ball, remember? Yeah. And then the, I think the second one was, was it when Poison Ivy, like, finds her new lair? There's, like, a kind of, like, a, she kind of dances around to music or something. Am I just blurring this all from my brain already? We watched this two days ago, and I don't remember that at all. One of my favorite parts of it was when um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is making his like minions sing Mr. White Christmas. Yes. <laughs> it's just such a random, random scene, but you know what? It works and I like it. So that did not work for me. It I'm did. not going to lie. This, this movie, are, are we good? Are we good on talking about the pluses of this movie? Uh, yeah. Anyone else have any positives? No. Well, I just want to say, like, I really appreciated, like, within, like, a minute of the movie, it just showing, like, a butt and crotch shot as, like, one of the, like, this is how it introduces it. And I was like, (laughs) I need to strap in, like, what is, what am I watching? Yes, this movie tells you right off the bat, this is what's happening, get ready, this is the tone of the movie, don't expect any more. (laughs) Yeah, so, so I make notes every single time that we watch one of these movies, and my first note here is, what the fuck are these close-ups? And like they did, you know, to their credit, like they they just decided this is how a bat vigilante gets dressed. And they did the exact same thing when Batgirl puts on her suit for the first time. Because, you know, you got to sell those toys, got to show the details, like and every single thing. And yeah, it uh, you, you quickly learn that you're going to be in for a wild ride. This was, w- that actually kind of does take me to one of my uh, issues with the movie is that like, there were some weird directorial choices in this movie. Like the clo- like I know you said you liked the close-ups. I thought it was pretty strange. It took me out of the movie. Like, you know, even with us not taking it that seriously. I also think like 
there were lots of weird shots where like the camera looked like it kind of tipped over as they were shooting and like it was like shot diagonally for lord knows what reason and like just a lot of weird transitions and like the music didn't sound good and like I don't know this was not Tim Burton just basically decided he's like I'm gonna get to have my ridiculous costumes you won't let me cast Johnny Depp for some reason so this is the next best thing and then wait didn't he direct this movie no oh my bad Oh my God! Who, who directed this movie? Joel Schumacher. Oh, same thing. No, Tim Burton has never directed a bad movie. This can't except, be him, except Dumbo. But uh, I was about—I <laughs> I apologize to Tim Burton. Honestly, yeah, I, I was Burton about to blame a, him for this. Apparently, he's made like that's like the first. Oh, he Batman. made the first Batman movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I mixed it up. The first two. Yeah, and then Joel Schumacher did this one and Batman Forever. All right. Well, never mind. Fuck you, Joel Schumacher. <laughs> But I think, like, if this movie was edited well and with this content, it wouldn't have still, like, entertained me. So I, like, I think it went well, like, watching it just for, like, my entertainment value. But I do agree. Like, I do remember this one shot with uh, George Clooney, and it's, like, this really awkward close-up. I think it's kind of when, like, the camera slightly tips over. And then it, like, randomly will go to, like, him, like, as a kid, like, like reminiscing Yes. 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 <laughs> that scene is gold. Yeah. The way they do flashbacks, it's like. I like force ghost hallucinations <laughs> walk through <laughs> <Yeah>. the shot. <laughs> for no reason, too. It's just like this random, like, oh, I remember when I was a child and Alfred was there for me. Okay. Back to the plot. But yeah, that. I don't know. Real what quick, plot? Oh, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, exactly. So just like the first five minutes are incredible. That the whole thing we were talking about. And then I loved how like Alfred just randomly cries. Oh yeah, I saw that. And then that's just like foreshadowing for later in the movie when he's like, I guess the plot was he's dying, was Alfred's big plot here, um, which is dumb. But um, I just thought that that was funny that they just had to have like a random crying shot of Alfred in the beginning. Yes, yes, I remember that. It's when um, Batman is leaving and then Robin's leaving and he's like oh don't wait up for us Alfred and he's like okay and then they leave but they the camera still is on Alfred and then he just starts crying for some reason (laughs) that's what we in the movie industry call foreshadowing (laughs) yeah Yeah, I think another thing that this movie kind of does not do well is side plots there are so many fucking side plots to this like B plots, I don't know, I don't know technical terms, but yeah, this made Spider-Man three look like a coherent movie. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Because okay, so we have Batman and Robin, you know the title of the movie. Yes. They are having conflict. Mister Freeze is having conflict with his wife, but he's also having conflict with himself because he needs diamonds to be alive. Yes. Also, <laughs> sorry, as an aside, the plot of going to the plot of this movie he's supposed to be the super genius and the most efficient fuel resource that he can think of is diamonds to literally burn diamonds to power his suit. Like I know comic book movie suspension of disbelief, but that is objectively a ridiculous reason to have him go on diamond. They're like, well, why would this guy that was a good guy that's trying to save his wife try to steal diamonds? I got it. He uses them as a fuel source. Yeah, that's just not efficient (laughs) and doesn't make sense. But what did you guys think of uh, Uma Thurman and um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and their acting as a Batman villain? You didn't like Um, it. (laughs) 
I still, I, I still think Uma Thurman is iconic in this movie. Um, I think she's one of the most entertaining parts of this movie. I think she like did the best with it, but um, I just, it goes back to the script they had to work with. And I think all, I feel like the whole cast was just like, let's just have fun and just like go all the way. Like, mm -hmm. I love how like, I don't know, Uma, Uma Thurman just definitely like, I don't feel like she took it serious. Like, she took it seriously, but like in the most cheesy way. Yeah. Yeah, that like it was like you had on one end of the spectrum like Clooney who clearly saw the script and it's like, I am not going to give you more than 70% in any one shot. And then you had Uma Thurman who was like, well, whatever, I'm signed up to do this. And like just completely went for it. And I did like, it's not that she was good or that her character was like well-written or great, like at least in my mind, but like I at least respected that she decided to, once she turned into Poison Ivy, do the entire movie as like a 60s like pinup like movie actress voice yeah. and just like really just say like this, like just like channel this like deep voice out of her that I don't even know where it came from and like just basically scream all of her lines or sound like she was trying to seduce you no matter what she was saying. Yeah, so apparently Uma Thurman with this role she was given a lot of creativity on it and I think the director basically told her like just do what you want to do with this character and make it your own and uh I mean she really liked doing this and apparently this is her first really big budget high budget Hollywood film too so this is kind of like her debut as well was this it was after Pulp Fiction though right she would have had to be somewhat of a star to get cast in this role yeah, so yeah I she think had it, broken through so i think this might have been after pulp fiction but i think pulp fiction is more was more seen as like an indie movie this is more of like a high budget yeah like right Hollywood yeah movie. yeah it, it yeah that's a while for that movie to like get its status so yeah. yeah so yeah i mean good for her but again like poison ivy is such a powerful character and like i was really bummed not to see her control vines and all she did was just like blow kisses at people no she kind of did control vines for kind of for a couple scenes yeah i just don't think they had the technology yeah they didn't have yet. cgi vine technology <laughs> yet yeah. to uh like have her like grab like batman out of the air with them it was like grabbing his feet and kind of making him trip a little bit yeah but, but i definitely i definitely remembered her being like I thought that her character was a lot more interesting as a kid than I than now because like now I just noticed that she didn't really even use her powers like she had like Venus flytraps in the background and like yeah she like but and like I guess she had like her venom powers but it really was like her using her sexuality was her only like well, that's one of her powers, to be fair, like traditionally. She does have poison lips. She like no, not the poison lips. Yeah, uh, like yeah, the pheromones that she seduces people with. Like yeah. she's irresistible. But so she did use that a lot. I appreciate that she was like, I'm not getting my hands dirty. I'm making Bane do this, and poor Bane had to do all her shit. Yeah, poor Bane, who's like a cool <laughs> character, and it's like a genius. Like it, it's been said a lot about this movie that like it's weird, but her you know, overall as a movie, that this comes off to me like it was written by someone who had either never read a Batman comic or actively hated Batman um and like to reduce Bane who's like one of Batman's smartest most iconic villains to like a strong henchman who grunts every single line was a strange choice as was turning Mr. Freeze and casting Arnold Schwarzenegger in the role as this brilliant scientist and then having him use puns every single time and then having Batman and Robin for some reason quip the entire movie when that's really not like Batman's thing normally is like the whole thing was strange in all of that respect. But going back to Poison Ivy, like I actually, I think that it was interesting to rewatch this in 2020 and see like, yeah. you know, 
the stuff that she wanted as far as planetary change, like, yeah, like it was like a little ridiculous in terms of like she wanted to shut down all industry. And like, obviously, like that's not something that's probably ever going to happen, like even for the biggest, like, you know, climate change, like advocates. But like, she really did, like she wanted to change the planet. And it's interesting how the movie, rather than like look at this as a somewhat legitimate position, it just like laughs her off as like, oh, this hysterical woman thinks that we can shut down plants and not have meat and need to save the planet. Last I checked, people are more valuable than the environment. Yes, Poison Ivy is uh, the future vegans want. She was the original <laughs> Greta Thunberg. Yeah, no, I don't yeah. think so. I absolutely don't think so. <laughs> well, I'm definitely like this movie made me like realize how great like how much we need a new Poison Ivy because I think it would be so cool to see like an environmentalist like plot like line in, like, kind of. movie and like she would be such a like good character to kind of like talk. Yeah, she was, she's an interesting so character do. for today. She would be fit, like if they, I don't think that they're going to put her in the Pattinson movie because I think they've mostly already cast that or whatever, but down the line, like she would be a fascinating Batman villain to be a primary antagonist in a movie because the best villains are the ones that we can somewhat empathize with and legitimize. And like, I think that, you know, in 2020 or whenever they'd be making that movie, like wanting to change the planet is not really like a, a intrinsically evil position to take. Yeah, right. I, yeah, I advocate for a Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy movie. That could be good too. 100%. It needs to happen. The TV show is excellent though. So we kind of already have that. Yeah, but I want a live action. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. So the other plot points that we have are uh, Alfred's dying, but he also wants to find his long lost brother. <laughs> Which never comes back into play, <laughs> I just realized. It doesn't. And then we have Batgirl showing up that is actually his niece but she's like not what she seems, you know? And then we also have Poison Ivy trying to get her revenge on people, I guess. Is that? She's mad that uh, Bruce Wayne laughed at her when she tried to get him to change the climate. So she's going to freeze the entire city of Gotham. And also she's attracted to Mr. Freeze. Yes. And then we also have another subplot of, um, of, uh, Robin and Batgirl kind of like getting together at a motor race and then there's also another subplot because she's not like your average girl Mia she <laughs> races bikes okay there's and an she <laughs> hacks stuff there's another subplot of of like this lady that is Bruce Wayne's girlfriend and she's like I want to get married and he's like no it's okay oh my god that was Batman's only plot line I feel and then also him like having to deal with 30 year old Robin being a kid like, oh my god, he was so whiny. He is, like, honestly, they do not portray Robin. He was a little bitch in this movie. It is weird that Robin is, like, 30 years old in this movie, but he's still given the impestuous teenager plot line anyway, because they're just yeah. like, well, it's Robin. That's what he's going to do. <laughs> yeah. And even though he's, like, 30 years old, and, like, I at least respected that, like, at the end, when they're getting back together, like, Bruce is, like, doesn't call him his son. He's like, you're, like, my little brother. And I was like, okay, they at least didn't try to sell us on the son dynamic between these two guys that are like 10 years apart in age <laughs> why didn't they just recast robin they already recast george clooney like batman yeah. george clooney so i just i mean i maybe that actor was like really popular at the time is my only thought on that i think chris o'donnell was somewhat pop like he, he's somewhat of a big name i know he has that like ncis show that my mom loves now and <laughs> honestly i think 
I've gotten Chris O'Donnell and um, the guy from uh, Fast and Furious, Paul Walker, confused once. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, they kind of look the same, but um, yeah, that is kind of weird that they didn't recast him. Everyone else is recasted, I believe, right? Is Alfred the same? Or? No, I think Alfred's the same. Actually, I think Alfred's the same in all four movies, isn't he? Poor I guy. think so. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> and then they just killed him off. <laughs> Did he die? No, no he doesn't he die. He, he lives at the end. Yeah. Just, oh, he I don't know. This well, doesn't he, he like goes into like a consciousness. Oh yeah, he becomes like a No, computer. he does, but then at the end of the movie, he's walking out, they cure him with the, with the cure that they got from Mr. Freeze. Oh, okay. See, both of you had tuned out by this point. I was still taking <laughs> okay. notes. I'm like- <laughs> To be fair, this movie was about two hours long and- it You was, feel it. Yes, you definitely yeah. do feel it. There's just too much going on that I don't, they keep going back and forth to different plot points. And it's just like, at that point, I just don't care anymore. It was also weird that like, speaking of Alfred, that he was all of a sudden this like, you know, all knowing, all seeing force as far as like, like projecting the future and turning himself into an AI. Like, first of all, where did he get the technology and the ability to do that? I remember Mia, we were watching this and you were like, how does this guy know how to use email? <laughs> and like, you know, it's like, he was really old and it was weird that they, he was like all of a sudden some computer genius who could like upload himself into an AI. And then also like his granddaughter, I guess he just somehow knew, even though, That's niece. or niece, whatever, he somehow <laughs> knew basically granddaughter he somehow knew that she was going to like be qualified to be Batgirl and like just set up a suit for her and I guess she just had training to do that like they really I mean, rushed like all of her dimensions like that's a little creepy yeah yeah oh yeah that is. yeah weird. that was weird yeah so she goes into she finds the Batcave and then he's like ah I knew you were gonna come here I also made a suit I know exactly how you, it's going to fit you. Yeah, and so right. there is, <laughs> if you want to get really woke, there is a way that you can look at this movie is Alfred's final plan was actually to dox Batman. Like, because he revealed the secret identity of him and Robin to his uh, to his niece, like, right after he died. Like, he was ready to reveal this information to the world and, like, stop this, uh, you know, like, evil, like, unethical vigilante from terrorizing their city. The next movie would have just been Alfred becoming the villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. After four movies of following Bruce Wayne's orders, Alfred has had it. <laughs> he becomes Mr. Freeze because yeah. of the cheer. He becomes, ba he becomes the real Bane and like starts, wa starts a war on the 1%. Um, another thing that this movie suffers is uh, character development. Batman right. has it nothing to him he is a blank slate he that learns to trust robin a little more by the end of the movie <laughs> that's his character development yeah but everyone's so such a one-note character i mean maybe you can argue that poison ivy is a little bit more dimensional like two-dimensional but like still she's still really not she's one-dimensional but like at least it was an attempt to be progressive i guess, I guess. random I don't know if you guys watch Smallville, but the the guy who like kills her yes, is like yeah. his dad, and I was like, that's great. <laughs> yes, Harrison was the first to point that out. Yeah, I yelled. I did not realize that he was in this movie, and I guess like a very small role, but um, I'm surprised, frankly, that he came back to the DC universe after that. But you know, he really gave it his all in uh, in his like limited time screen time, just yeah. screaming every single line and apparently transferring that ability to Poison Ivy when he tried to kill her. Um, I, feel like, I feel like Poison Ivy's like plotline is like, uh, man 
tips over plants on me now i will kill man like <laughs> yeah a little bit it's a little bit distilled down to that although she again she still tried to make peaceful change and like went to bruce with this like list of demands of things that he needed to do while having bane be the only one that i guess could drive her around in a limo during that scene um yeah i don't know how did he fit in the limo that was the strangest part of that to me. Fun fact, this is actually the first Batman mobile that is only one seat. Oh, I did not realize that. But you're right, now that you mention it. Yeah, because, like, Batman's like, uh uh-huh, I gotta go. And then, like, Robin has to fucking follow him on yeah, a he motorcycle. gives Robin a bike. He's like, he's like, I need the most sophisticated technology money can buy to protect me. Robin, you get this BMX bike. <laughs> Yeah, Robin is not treated well. But then again, Robin's a little shit because he's also one-dimensional. He's just mad that Poison Ivy likes him and he thinks that... Yeah, that was a whole other conflict. Now that I'm thinking about it, is that he was, like, telling Batman, oh, she likes me more. And Batman's like, that's not the fucking point. (laughs) Okay, can we talk about the part where Batman and Robin fight over Poison Ivy for money? Oh, yeah, that was so weird. I didn't actually think about it in that vein, but yes. Yeah, so there's, like, an auction going on, and, like, to have a, I'm assuming, to have a date with, like, pretty ladies. She definitely insinuates it's, like, more than a date. Because she, like, yeah, like, Oh, yeah, she says you're going to get to see everything that you see now and everything you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so they start bidding over her, and then they start... They start, like, upping each other with money, and then all of a sudden, Bruce Wayne just kind of, or Batman, I guess he's bat. doesn't fucking matter, but he, like, tops it to, like, a ridiculous number, and then he, t- that's when he takes out the credit card. He's like, I never leave the Batcave without it. <laughs> like, I guess you could say they were under a spell, I guess, if you want to, like, still. Well, so that still, goes, like, I, <laughs> I don't know what her, her, like, goal was. Was it just to, like, was she trying to just, like, pin them against each other, or... Because, like, then she basically just walks out of the building afterwards, right? <laughs> yeah. She's like, bye, guys. Um, I'll see you in another another scene. Yeah, this movie's attempts at quote-unquote feminism, like, they, it really shows oh, its God. 90s. Okay, in, I don't like, think they were using feminism. No, 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 no. no. Just, just hold on. Hear me out. Hear me out. All like, right. uh, they, you know, they try to portray Batgirl as, like, you know, they have all these jokes about, like, how she's, like, just as ready to fight as, like, you know, Batman and Robin. Like, they initially, like, try to haze her, but they realize they need her, like, kind of. And, like, it's tar- the whole movie, it's like, oh, she's not like your typical pretty girl. She races bikes and hacks computers and whatever. Like I mentioned before, and then but then when she shows up and is fighting poison ivy because you know like the girl has to fight the girl because you know batman like right. and robin they, they weren't going to show batman and robin hitting a woman so like that's really the only reason she's here for being real um and other than selling toys in this movie because otherwise there's not a whole lot of a point to her character uh and then like she shows up and like it's a little bit uh, like all of a sudden the movie in addition to dismissing poison ivy's very legitimate position about the planet being destroyed by like human uh, industrial society like it also you know i think in modern times like we've come to see like poison ivy like when she uses that seduction power it's not played off as as villainous it's like more like progressive like she can kind of like you know like her promiscuity isn't used as like a villainizing trait like that's not why she's evil she's evil because of her methods not because she's like you know like attractive and promiscuous and whatever whereas this movie like it's a little bit of like a comment i think it's a little bit of a social commentary on like 
you know, uh, like women who sleep with multiple men, STDs, because like, oh, if she kisses you, it'll kill you. It's oh, it's not that su- it's not that subtle. Um, and like the fact that she's going around seducing everyone, and she's dangerous because she de- seduces people and because she's attractive. And uh, and then Batgirl comes in and she's like, women like you set make all of us women look bad. And yeah. like. So it's like, it's a criticism of women who are sexually liberated and care about the planet and basically dismisses both as evil and hysterical. And so- I do, I do want to talk about that scene because I thought it was really interesting. The part where um, like you're talking about when Batgirl like beats Poison Ivy, quote unquote. Um, and she basically calls out the movie, which I thought was really interesting that they were like bringing a commentary on the character. But I do think- I think Hollywood at that point, especially we're talking about the 90s, they were trying to be more progressive. Um, But it was the first attempt to try to be like feminism and show like a female character. Um, But there's obviously a lot of flaws there and they had (laughs) figured it out. (laughs) Um, Like in Batgirl, she yeah, so, no, I like, think Batgirl was an attempt, was their attempt, actual attempt at feminism. And it was like, really, the right way for a woman to like be the equal of the male heroes. You could tell they definitely thought that they were doing it uh, justice in some way. Yes. But I think um, for sure Batgirl is as flawed as Poison Ivy because she's like this, um, she's like this girl who's like, she can do everything. And she's also like tearing down Poison Ivy for what she does. and. Um, I don't know. It's interesting that they tried and, you know, it obviously got better later. And one of the reasons I liked this movie as a kid too, was because there were two female characters in it, but it is interesting. Like however many years later, like how that's shifted. Yeah. Yeah, And I think there is something to be said for like that representation, even though it's like flawed, like I do, I I agree with you that I think that they were trying to do something like, like they were trying to be progressive and trying to do the right thing. Uh, I just think that I I agree that they were a little bit sloppy in how they went about it, but even still, still like for, you know, like a little girl watching that movie, they still get a hero to root for and they aren't thinking about the deeper societal criticisms of that. So speaking of feminism, um, a little tidbit um, behind the scenes, apparently a lot of Alicia Silverstone's uh, scenes of being Batgirl were cut during production because she started to gain weight during the production and she couldn't fit in the costume anymore. And so when the press found out the news, like they were slamming her, like, oh, she got too fat, she got lazy. And like the director, Joel Schumacher, actually defended her saying like what is this girl's big sin that she ate some pizza like that's just like why so many young people suffering from anorexia and bulimia like why are you crucifying this girl (laughs) oh my god (laughs) it's so fucked up (laughs) i mean that that there's a commentary in there of the unrealistic body standards for women in comics in general but they made this costume so skin tight that her putting on like a couple pounds she could no longer fit yeah i don't think they wanted to make another costume that's the thing because I think it was just so expensive. They needed to, yeah, they needed to save the money for the rocket scene at the beginning of the movie with uh, where Mr. Freeze decides to go to space to freeze Batman and Robin despite having a literal freeze gun. Yeah, I think I've heard her say, like, in a recent interview that she, like, she didn't have a fun time on that that movie partially because of the um, the suit. And like you said, it's so skin tight, you could probably eat, like, one peanut and, like... <laughs> feel like you can't fit in it anymore have a food baby and they're like you know what we just can't have you in this movie anymore sorry (laughs) but 
I thought that was pretty interesting. But I'm, I'm all, it's also interesting that the director even defended her. So it must have been like a studio thing that told them to cut because it, he obviously probably didn't want. What yeah, they, they looked at Alicia Silverstone. And no, I'm just laughing at the idea that these execs looked at Alicia Silverstone and she's like, she put on five pounds. She's hideous now. <laughs> Cut every single scene. <laughs> Don't let her in the movie anymore. Uh, but speaking of this director, this director also fucking hated this movie as well, too. Oh, for real? Yes. Oh, well, good for him. literally apologized. He's like, if you came in here thinking that you were going to get a great Batman movie, I'm sorry. Oh, so it was studio interference. That's interesting. Yeah, so he basically blamed studio pressure for making, hmm. for having him make the film more. How much uh, has changed. With I know. <laughs> I apologize, Joel Schumacher. I, I dropped an F-bomb at you earlier in this episode, and you did not deserve that. So if you made it this far, uh, I apologize. Yeah, you know, he, yeah, that yeah. is interesting because it, it is a trend for, like, superhero movies to kind of, or, like, and Warner Brothers specifically, to decide later in a franchise to bring on more characters, and then they overstuff it, mm-hmm. and then you get a movie like this. Um, yeah. Or, that is uh, interesting. Right, yeah. We should get this started. Release the Schumacher cut. I don't think there is. Oh, no. I, I think we, I think <laughs> we could make this happen. Probably burn. Bring it. Alicia Silverstone back. We, we have the Sam Jackson technology. We can de-age her and get her ready for the scene. Although she still pretty much looks the same. So it'd probably be fine. Yeah. And apparently George Clooney also hated this movie. And he said, I think he actually publicly said, we have killed the Batman franchise with this movie. He's also been known. Was- yeah. Go ahead. There was a huge gap between this movie and uh, the Christopher Nolan, and you can see that yeah. it's kind of a reaction to it. I feel like the Christopher Nolan movies because it goes from this to like so dark. Yeah, because everybody's. <laughs> I remember reading about that when Nolan was making his movies. It's like everybody saw Batman as this ridiculous character because of this movie, and he was like, okay, but he's actually like pretty grounded if you really read the source. Well, not the like original original source material, but as he moved on, like he was a pretty grounded character as comic books go and like you know someone that like at least if we're willing to suspend disbelief could kind of be real and like Christopher Nolan like kind of took it to the other extreme of like let's ground this as much as possible and ended up making I think one of the greatest movie trilogies of all time because of it. Um, If you can't already tell Harrison is a (laughs) avid Batman fan. We have so much Batman stuff in our house it's not even funny so to watch him watch this movie and all its inaccuracies (laughs) and have him cringe every time. He is like, I, I can tell you're holding back because I know you would go on a rant on saying why no, that. I, I went on a couple of rants during this pod. I don't know, you're keeping it tame because we have a guest, don't you? Aren't no, you? that's not true. I, 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 I literally said, fuck you, Joel Schumacher at one point. <laughs> uh, anyways. Well, I don't think we'll ever get like a Batman movie like this again. So I just like, obviously it's, I mean, definitely one of the worst, or maybe the worst. Are we saying it's the worst Batman movie? That's fair, right? I think that's pretty fair. Batman versus Superman had its flaws, but like ultimately, oh, I would still put that one above. Oh, that one's way better. (laughs) Yeah, way better. Um, I'd have to watch the other. Like, I have never watched the older Batman movies, so I don't really have much to go off of. The first two are honestly not bad. Like, they're not great, but they're not bad. This one's just. This is a whole... I can't speak for Batman uh, Batman Forever because I haven't seen it recently enough. But, like, Batman... Uh, Bat, or, sorry, yeah, there's Batman and Batman Returns, right? Were the first two? Yes, and then yeah. there's Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. So. Mia, didn't you say George Clooney hated this movie so much that he was, he's been known to give people refunds when they tell him they've seen it? Yes. 
Oh my gosh. I don't know how that, I don't know. It doesn't, I'm looking on uh, INDB and it, there's no explanation to it. It just says George Clooney has been known to give refunds from this movie. Between that and like the, the story about the guy who almost bled out on George Clooney's couch and George Clooney just bought a new one and like just moved on and didn't even get mad about it. Like, you know, we're learning like pretty solid I, I know, guy. you need to back up. You need to tell that story. <laughs> no, it's fine. I was just going to leave it in there. Like. <laughs> Um, anyways, I, I guess, look that up, I guess, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is there anything else that you guys think? Bleeding couch. <laughs> I know. Just look up reporter bleeding on George Clooney's couch, and I think that's- Okay, long story short, this guy was set to interview George Clooney. He ended up in a bunch of pain, had his gallbladder taken out, decided he could not miss his uh, George Clooney interview, and if you've ever had your gallbladder taken out, that is not a surgery. You want to go do an interview the next day? This guy went and did it anyway, ended up basically almost bleeding to death on George Clooney's couch because he was high, he drank beer while also taking his pain meds, and uh, ended up like laughing so hard that he burst the stitches, bled all over the couch the only he got an email from George Clooney's PR that said like he just wants to thank you for like a nice conversation and enjoyed meeting with you and he's like George Clooney just bought a new couch what an awesome dude oh my gosh <laughs> I I can't imagine what the press junket was like for this movie I feel like he falls in the category of like Robert Pattinson hating being Edward Cullen, and then you have George Clooney hating being Batman. Or, yeah, ben, I was gonna say, uh, there's also Ben Affleck on the Justice League press tour of just, like, you know, staring off into the distance upset. Oh, is that what that one's from? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I appreciate this movie for what it is. It's funny in a really ironic way like so bad it's good it's not good but i'm not mad that i watched it again just because oh, no, i got yeah. to laugh about it now yeah i mean i would not want to watch two That's hours good. of this shit but yeah, yeah i wouldn't I would watch it like i probably won't revisit it for a long time um so i can have the similar experience but um <laughs> i stand by it being like a fun movie that i watched as a kid and i can understand why i liked it and mm -hmm. it, it's just so weird that, that this was, like, my first introduction to, like, a live-action, like, Batman movie. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm surprised you were like, yeah, definitely want to watch more Batman movies after this. Yeah, your, <laughs> your, kids will, your kids will probably like it. If you listen to this and you have ki young kids, like, they'd probably enjoy this movie. Because, yeah. like, they'd think the Mr. Freeze jokes are hilarious. Like, ah, dinosaur joke. <laughs> and the colors. The colors are very yeah, it's fluorescent. very colorful. Like blinding. That's why I thought it was a Tim Burton movie. <laughs> no, Tim Burton is more subtle in that. But um, yeah, so Sarah, thank you again for bringing us an awful, truly awful movie. Um, again, we're so happy to have you on. <laughs> uh, hopefully, you can maybe come back. We can. I think it's just like you're just trying to top yourself. Can you, yeah, can you try and find a worse movie for the next time? <laughs> All right, we're, are we going worse? Yeah, let's yeah. just keep going, you know? Yeah, let's keep getting, like, wor like let's find the worst movie imaginable. Like, let's watch Human Centipede next time. Yeah, oh, that's oh, a no. good childhood movie, right? <laughs> yeah. We all saw it. We all watched it as a child. <laughs> um, but, so, going back just really quick, do you think this movie still holds up? Do you guys think <laughs> <laughs> we have to ask that at the end right? no i guess that is yeah that is technically the central question of this podcast i'm gonna say no sarah what do you think it holds up in my childhood heart <laughs> but no as a batman movie it just completely doesn't work today and it's just it's it's a it's an anomaly of a movie really yeah i think this movie is a kind of like a a sample of what not to do for a superhero movie yeah 
They're like, do you want to make a superhero movie? Watch Batman and Robin. It'll show you what not to do and you'll be fine. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Except uh, Spider-Man 3 watched that and said, what a good job. I'll copy that. Yeah, Sp- uh, Spider-Man 3 was like, I'll copy your homework and just not make it obvious. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, so if people want to find you, Sarah, where can they find you? What, what site do you write for? Oh, I write for Cinema Blend. Thank you, thank you for asking. Um, uh, yeah, I'm regularly writing for Cinema Blend, movie news stuff. Um, so you can check out our website if you want. You don't have to. I'm on Twitter, um, Sarah underscore Elmamood. Um, hopefully, you'll put that in like a bio. We'll put your. We'll put it in the in the info for this podcast. All your social media info. Yeah, Sarah writes great articles. She's actually. You usually write about superhero movies, too, I think. Yeah, that's a big thing our site does, so definitely in with the superhero movies. No, I, I, will, I will say this. Like, Sarah is, of all the people that I worked with at the Daily Titan, like, was probably the easiest to edit on the first try. Like, and, like, to call it editing is, like, an overstatement because I usually wouldn't have to do very much. She is incredibly capable, incredibly talented, and is going to do amazing things at some point and is right now. Yeah. Um, well, so. hopefully she's actually working on a Batman movie in her mind right now. She's writing the script. She's going to direct it. We're going to co-write it. Yeah, we're all going to co-write it. We're going to read Poison Ivy begins. Poison (laughs) Ivy. um, Yeah, we're going to do the Poison Ivy Harley Quinn movie. Exactly. You know, that's probably already in the works, but it doesn't matter. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, It is now. (laughs) Yeah, it is now. So you can find us, our podcast, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And you can also find us on Twitter. I don't know our Twitter name anymore. I kind of That's fine. It. We'll put that in the bio too. <laughs> Just leave us, leave us five-star review if you can. And thank you as always for continuing to listen uh, to us. Sarah, thank you for joining us. And Mia. I just want to say thank you guys. Like this is a really fun podcast. So um, thank you guys for having me. And um, I think it's really cool that you guys are like regularly like rewatching movies. So just want to say like, it's, you guys have a cool co- podcast and I hope you like keep doing it for a while. Oh, Thank you. Unless we get a divorce, so it's it's going to keep on going. So yes, unless we die of coronavirus. Well, that too. Yeah. I mean, con- <laughs> you could continue the podcast without me. I give you permission. All right. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Thank you again. And uh, stay tuned for our next episode. We don't know. We have no plans. I thought we did. No, we don't have any plans. Okay. Okay. Bye. <laughs>